Welcome back to Jurassic... Wait, no. Hold on. Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are discussing Jurassic Park, the original 1993 film based on the Michael Crichton novel and directed by Steven Spielberg. So this is part of our Be Kind Rewind series. It is. And it just so happens that this is the 30-year anniversary for this movie. Yeah, I didn't want to be reminded of how old I am because <laughs> I saw this movie in theaters and I was old enough to have driven there. How old were you? <laughs> yeah, I was 20 years old when this movie came out. So I'm an old, old man, oh, yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. No. I oh, yes, you would be. I would have turned 20 <laughs> in October of that year. The movie came out in June and That's I right. would have turned 20. Yeah. I have a couple of interesting stories that I'll get to as we go. But, well, I got, actually, I can hit one of them right away because I can say I have seen Jurassic Park before. And the first time I saw this movie was in theaters on a date. And I, at 19 years old, having just delved into previously a few years before, the theater world was feeling very dramatic and wanted to make an impression upon the girl that I wanted to take out oh, no. on this date. Oh, no. So I... In a really dumb move, by the way. This is not... Now, I'm not building myself up to be a Casanova here. I'm building myself out to be like... Wait, when you hear it, you'll be like, oh my god, he's an idiot. So, I recorded a tape that was simply me asking this girl out on the date. Now, it worked. I think more out of pity than anything else, but it worked. (laughs) (laughs) But that was really a dumb way to do it, right? I mean, come on. She can't respond. It's kind of creepy and stalkerish. I was 19. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know? Right, right. Weird, right? That is a weird way to it's ask somebody out. a weird way to ask somebody date, out, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> it worked for you, I guess. Did <laughs> I was... you guys have a second date? No. Oh. <laughs> no. But but I knew I knew her before that. I was I was friends with her. We had we had done theater together and and yeah. Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was Was my... it just you saying, Will you go on a date with me? Or did you have some kind of like dramatic like <sighs> I don't think, reading of asking her on a date or something. I don't. I don't remember honestly. <laughs> oh man, I'd love to hear this I, thing. <laughs> I hope. I hope beyond all hope that this tape is somewhere, somehow destroyed. <laughs> if That'd it's not, amazing. I implore the young woman who may or may not listen to this episode. I implore her not to release that information. I will pay you good money for this <laughs> thing. <laughs> my wife is willing to pay money to hear my dumb nineteen-year-old ass. <laughs> asking someone out on a date via <laughs> audio cassette. That in would be awesome to hear that. I would love it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so my embarrassment out of the way. When did you first see Jurassic Park? I don't remember. I know I've seen this. I don't know if I saw it in the theaters or not. Well we know Probably we saw the not. second one in, right? We saw the second one in theaters together. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. Go ahead and tell the story. Well, I think it's funnier when you're there, but we were in this theater. There were not very many people there. You and I are sitting kind of in a row by yourself, and then there was a couple people behind us, and there's a part in the second movie where there's a jump scare. Yeah. It's the raptors digging under, or the kids are digging, the kid is digging under a wall trying to get out of a, a building that they're trapped in by these raptors, and the raptor sticks its head out underneath the thing. It's not a very good jump scare. It's actually a kind of a <laughs> shitty jump scare, but... 
Go on with the chlorophyll. But you jumped and the guy behind us laughed. I so did it not. Was You're hilarious. telling that completely wrong. <laughs> you jumped. I did and jump and you jumped. That but you me. jumped too. I jumped <laughs> because of you. <laughs> so I jumped. You jumped. The dude laughed at you. He goes, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I jumped at you jumping and I get mocked. Me. It was pretty funny, though. It was funny. <laughs> Anyway, so humorous but Jurassic anyways, Park stories the aside. first Jurassic Park, I yeah. don't know that I saw it in the theater, but I've definitely seen this movie several times. Mm. I've, mm. I've, I've seen this maybe 10 times. Beautiful. That's, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's a, it's one that I go back to frequently, honestly. It's one that I bought on VHS. It's one that I bought on DVD. It's one that I bought on Blu-ray and eventually we'll get it on 4K. I... I enjoyed these movies. I enjoy the first three for sure. I think this is interesting, though. Do you think this is more enjoyable for those of us that are older who saw this when it first came out? Because you've tried showing this to Miles, and mm-hmm. he was bored out of his <laughs> mind. He thought it was super boring. There, there, there are some thematic elements in this movie that are more to the forefront than they are in other later films, you know? I think with Jurassic Park 3, we really kind of take a turn away from, you know, philosophy and a little bit closer to just straight up action adventure Mm -hmm. movies, which is what Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2 and Jurassic World 3 are all about. Just the action. They flirt with a couple of questions about what they're doing, but we never really get deep into it like they do in this movie and even in the second one. Right, because this movie tells you the science behind what their, well, their science, not real science, but their science behind how they're making these dinosaurs and the whole should you, shouldn't you type thing. Which has become a meme in and of itself. So there's, so there's a lot of other stuff going on here. And I think that's why for Miles, who watched it now, he was bored with it. And who knows, maybe when he gets older, he might enjoy it more. But I'm just wondering if, for newer audiences, if they don't enjoy it as much as the older audience. So you said that it's not real science. But the the fact of the matter is, it actually is now. Because as of late 2020, I think it was, scientists had successfully extracted DNA from an insect trapped in amber. I, I, it was I an, read it was that. insect DNA, but it wasn't, you know, it was insect. But the, the insect was from 2014. Yeah, so. I did read that, but then I also read that that wasn't substantial enough to right. get to where the dinosaurs would be. Sure, sure. But able like to Star- be reproduced. Yeah, but. but like Star Trek before it, Jurassic World or Jurassic Park, excuse me, is kind of leading the thought process on some mm-hmm. of these things. These mm-hmm. ideas are put out there and then people are like, well, shit, maybe we can do that. But we got to be careful that we make sure that we should do that mm-hmm. if, before we start digging into it, right? Right, right. The, the age-old question that is posed by Dr. Malcolm in this film, so. Yeah. All right, should we talk about who is in this thing? Oh, I suppose. Go ahead. All right, we already know it's directed by Steven Spielberg. It's part of our whole Be Kind Rewind with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. It was written by Michael Crichton and David Kep, And 
We bring in, again, for the music in this movie, we bring in John Williams. Now, normally we don't talk about the composers, but I feel like with Steven Spielberg, it's kind of good to mention, especially this movie, because it, it, there's there's certain movies of his that have these high point music through the movie, and I think this is one of those. Yeah, Spielberg and Williams are a dynamic tag team of film, and... I mean, I know John Williams has done music in other, for other films and all that, but this man scored Indiana Jones, Superman, E.T. He scored everything that you can think of from the late 70s or mid-70s through now that is famous for its, you know, film score, which I don't even know is really a thing anymore, but yeah, that's, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's appropriate, I think, to mention him because they are so tied together. There's only been two films that he's done that John Williams hasn't scored. His first one and The Color Purple. So everything else, John Williams has put his print on. Oh, wait, did he not do one? There's another one later. Maybe three. There might be three. Okay. But I'm not as versed in his later movies as I am in his older ones. But I have an, I have an interesting story about the Jurassic Park soundtrack. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> 19 years old. This wasn't like playing underneath the... the Asking the girl out. No, you, I told you, you everything there that. was to know about that <laughs> stupid thing that I did. No, this is, this is, I was, again, 19 years old and driving into downtown Dover with the Jurassic Park theme blaring. Now, keep in mind, at this time, <laughs> at this time, I was, I was working a full-time job. I was 19 years old and I had souped up my 1987 Volkswagen Fox Coupe with badass box speakers on the back deck. <laughs> they were very, very loud. I was very proud of this <laughs> at 19 years old. And no, I wasn't out running around blasting NWA or Guns N' Roses or Metallica. I was blasting the, Stevens, or the, the Jurassic Park <laughs> music. And... I got stopped by a cop. So me at 19, not knowing what to do, having not been stopped by a cop before that wasn't on a military base, I'm just kind of frozen. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And the cop rolled up and she puts her hand on her gun and she's like kind of off to the side. Like, I don't know what this guy's going to try because he's blasting Jurassic Park <laughs> and he's obviously a threat. And she goes, turn your radio down. And I'm like, okay. And I turned it off. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I look like a clown, don't I? <laughs> but anyway, I was doing a twenty. I was doing thirty-one and a twenty-five, and uh, this this rookie cop decided they were going to make an example out of me. <laughs> did you get a ticket? Oh yeah, I got it. Oh no, I didn't. Did I get a ticket? Yeah, I did. I got a ticket. That was my one of my one of two tickets that I've ever gotten in my life. Oh. Nice. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All the while blasting Jurassic Park. Yep, out, out of my out of my super awesome boomboxy speakers on the back deck of my 1987 a Volkswagen Fox. You're such a dork. Yeah, <laughs> you have no idea. So. I do have some idea. I suppose you do. Yeah. So who else? None is of in this. The... None of this surprise. These stories you're telling me, <laughs> I am not surprised by any of this. So. What? And why should you be? I mean, why should anybody be? So why don't you give us the rest? Tell us who else is in the film. All right. We have Sam Neill as Grant, Laura Dern as Ellie, Jeff Goldblum as Malcolm, Richard Attenborough as Hammond, Joseph Mazzella as Tim, Ariana Richards as Lex, 
Bob Peck as Muldoon, Martin Ferrero as Gennaro, Samuel L. Jackson. This is an early Samuel L. Jackson. I don't think we get one F-bomb in this thing. Well, I mean, it's a PG-13. <laughs> it is, but, you know, it's weird but... seeing him not flashing that F-bomb out there. But anyways, yeah. he's playing Arnold and Wayne Knight as Nedry. Wayne Knight as Nedry. And also B.D. Wong, he, oh, what was his character? Wu. Wu, yeah, Henry Wu, who later will become the villain in Jurassic World movies. He's the one that's like gone all mad scientist all of a sudden for some unknown reason. Now, uh, I don't know if it's the actor or the characters this actor plays, but Wayne Knight, I do not like this guy. He's a little sleazy, isn't he? And again, I don't I've I don't know if I've ever seen interviews with him in it. I don't know <laughs> if I, I'm guessing he's really not like this in real life, but every character he plays that I've ever seen him in He's just this sleazeball. <laughs> and so every time I see him on screen, I just instantly don't like that guy. He plays a good bad guy, a good slimeball. I mean, he really did it up in Toy Story 2. He played the owl from Owl's Toy Barn in yeah. Toy Story 2, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude, he's made to do that. His voice is kind of weaselly. He's kind of weaselly. I mean, some t- hey, you know what? He's playing to his strengths and more power to him. Quick before we get into the story, yeah. I just want to talk about the Oscar wins this movie had. What? Won three Oscars. I'll best they were for... sound. Yeah. Best effects for sound effects editing. Weird. And best effects for visual effects editing. Huh, weird. Weird. This, I was watching some documentaries on the making of this, mm-hmm. and it, this is kind of where not where CGI started but where it started really getting going and taking hold and so it is some of the first CGI on yes, screen. Yes, absolutely. Spielberg gave CGI a kick in the pants. Yeah. With this movie in fact, we wouldn't have movies like Titanic or movies like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings without this movie. These are the movies that they looked at and went, "Holy shit, I I guess we can do this. Let's do it," you know? And in fact, Spielberg's work on Jurassic Park inspired George Lucas's, well, some would say overuse of CGI (laughs) in the prequel trilogy, but there's still some really amazing stuff that they did on a green screen in those prequel films. Yeah. You can, I mean, (laughs) shitty stories be damned, but, you know, the effects were really good, so. I do appreciate a lot in this movie that it's not, all CGI that mm-hmm. they, I mean, some of these dinosaurs, the the T-Rex is yeah. a giant Stan animatronic yep. puppet and the velociraptors are mm-hmm. puppets with humans in them. Yep, they sure uh, are. I am so glad they used practical effects alongside the CGI because CGI was new yet. Because when we watch it this time, the CGI, I don't, while it's still good knowing that it's 30 years old, it it still looks dated. Like it mm-hmm. looks like you've got a paper dinosaur sitting on the screen a little bit. You know? <laughs> In some cases. Yeah, absolutely. I hundred percent agree with that. I do think though that, like you said, I mean, this is a 30 year old film yeah. for the CGI to look as good as it does. Yeah, when some it's... films, the CGI that came out 10 years ago, it's mm-hmm. just shit. Yeah. It's you know? still believable. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I see what they're doing, but it does. Eh, I, I don't like it as well as the practical, the, 
T-Rex is amazing in Ooh, this thing. Yeah. The Velociraptors are amazing in this thing. And that's the practical effects part. The the Triceratops yeah. is, is good, too. Yeah. There, there's something to be said about practical effects. You know me. I love practical effects. I love that Tom Savini, Rick Baker era of horror films where everything is real and in camera. And it's not, you know, made up by a, a digital whatever, you know. And this is not to say that I don't appreciate the digital stuff too, but I think there I have a soft spot, soft spot, a soft spot in my heart for a a practical effect or practical in camera special effects situation. All right, should we move into the story? Let's move into the story. So it starts with a little prologue where we get to see them loading an unknown creature into a paddock. And we see Muldoon, and he is kind of leading the whole thing, and they start to push the thing forward, and the creature inside, like, bucks and bonks the, the crate off of where they have it mounted. And so it's starting to escape, and they're, start, they're, they're shocking it and shocking it, and, and a worker gets grabbed by this thing and turns into dino food. They end up killing that dino, but the damage is done. Now the investors know about this worker having been murdered by one of the animals. And so they have sent their lawyer, Donald Gennaro, to a safety inspection on this island. While this is all going on, John Hammond, the owner of the what will become this Jurassic Park theme park, is visiting paleontologist and Alan Grant and paleobotanist Ellie Sattler in Montana, where they are digging up more dinosaur bones, right? And he promises to fund their dig for three years if they'll just come to his island and vouch for what he's got going on there. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what it is, they agree to it. They're curious. They want to know. And on a helicopter ride to the island from the mainland, I'm assuming, we get to meet the investors and Donald Gennaro's guest, who is Dr. Ian Malcolm, who is a chaotician. And we get kind of a brief glimpse at like how like suave <laughs> Dr. Ian Malcolm <laughs> is because he's hitting on Ellie, even though she's very obviously with Alan Grant at this point. And it... Hammond even goes so far as to call him a rock star. I bring the scientists, you brought a rock star. The, the idea is Hammond is going to use the paleontologist and the paleobotanist to convince Gennaro that everything is fine, and Gennaro is going to use the chaotician to prove to the investors that everything is not fine. Yeah. So that's what they're, that's what they're going for. When they get to the island... They drive out into a field, I'm assuming on their way to, it's not on a road, but on their way to the main visitor center, and they see a live herd of brachiosaurs. And this is our first look at the special effects in this film, the CGI special yep. effects. And this, I think, is the one part that I think held up the worst. It, they, they don't look very good on here. I mean... Not when there's humans involved. Later, when you see them kind of at a distance, definitely. Yeah definitely work right like when there's a herd running Mm -hmm. that looks fine because you don't have the human interaction in there right right but yeah it's seeing the humans in front and them in the back i'm like eh, they almost look like you could see through them and they they just don't hold up as well 
I'm not turned off by the on um, by the film by this whole thing. It's okay. just making a note that that scene I think probably doesn't hold up like it used to. Now Absolutely. I remember first seeing it and being, "Ooh, wow, that's cool." Holy shit, there's a dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, up until that point, what dinosaurs have we seen? Stop motion dinosaurs mm-hmm. in shitty sci-fi movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after they have their encounter with the brachiosaurs, they go back to the visitor center and the group goes on a ride, which is <laughs> it kind of makes me think of the Carousel of Progress at Disney World. Yeah. Where you're just sitting there and it like rolls around in a circle and you see a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're like previewing all the different things, like how they're, you know, how they're creating the, the where DNA. where you get your exposition know. dump. Right. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Spielberg actually used this to condense all of it because the book... The book is heavy, heavy sci-fi stuff, mm-hmm. and Spielberg actually used the doc, the Mister DNA thing and that whole introduction to kind of condense all of that down into one little palatable bit, so that we can get back to the action. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely, you're 100 percent right. That is this is a complete exposition dump, and it's very obviously. And I like how they did it too, with it being like a cartoon character. Yeah. It kind of just makes it a little bit more interesting because it is a lot <laughs> for me, who I hate science stuff. That stuff is just boring for me. Yeah, yeah. it still kept me interested enough to actually pay attention. Sure. So that way, I know what the heck actually happened to right. create this thing. Right. So. Now, the thing that I picked out of this, and I saw, I thought about this a long time ago when I was watching it, maybe, you know, one time, I don't know when, sometime I was watching it. And I thought about this. There's, there's a beginning part to this ride. And I don't know if this is a ride that everybody's going to get to go on, but it appears that John Hammond is going to have to be there for every single ride. That's that what goes I thought too. <laughs> on this thing because he has to talk to himself yeah there's a video version of himself who talks to the live john hammond and he's like oh wait that's right i've got lines so what was his plan this 80 year old man he was going to stand in front of every single group that toured jurassic park is that what his plan was horrible idea or maybe that's just the special guests that get to go through there (laughs) Is that his version of like what I, what he's going to do when he retires? He's going to be the Walmart greeter of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So that's really what I think is. What well, that 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 to me was kind of weird. Yeah. So I want to back up for a quick second. Do you remember when they're talking? You know, we get this moment before they leave for the island when we're in Montana. There is. An interaction that Alan Grant has with a little kid, a little boy, who says that the raptor doesn't look very scary. They find raptor bones, and the kid's like, oh, it looks like a chicken. And then Grant loses his mind and acts like a maniac. <laughs> Grant loses kid. his mind, yeah. and he tells the kid that the that the raptor would eat him while he was still alive, and blah, 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 you'd be conscious, <laughs> like, and stuff Jesus like that. Christ. And the kid just has this look of terror on his face. There was a fan theory running around that that is Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic World. Uh, does the timing fit, though? 30 years later? Yeah. Maybe. Right. I mean, because it wasn't 30 years. It wasn't, when did Jurassic World come out? 2014? So it was 10 years ago. It would have been only 21 years later. Yeah. So if that kid was 8, 10, he could be in his mid-30s. Yeah. It could. But it could. I don't buy it, but that was the fan theory. Yeah. So. Anywho, moving on with our tour. The... 
group decides they're going to bust out of the Tortram because they want to see how they interrupt like cellular mitosis and they want to know where the eggs go and all this other stuff. So they they bust out and much to Hammond's chagrin and they break into the lab. They talk about they talk to Henry Wu, who is their main geneticist at Jurassic Park. And Wu tells them, look, we breed all of these dinosaurs to be female. There is no unauthorized breeding in Jurassic Park, he says, right? No unauthorized breeding. And yet we're going to find out that that's not going to be completely true. Because life finds a way. Because life finds a way. Now, <laughs> it's because... Now, Grant will later theorize as to why that is. And we'll get into that, I think, a little later. But what they did was they extracted dinosaur DNA from mosquitoes, prehistoric mosquitoes, preserved in amber, like we were talking about before. And they used the DNA from tree frogs to fill in all the gaps in the genome sequence of the dinosaurs to recreate these creatures. So these aren't even real dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. These are dino frogs, mm -hmm. dino frog hybrids, right? After they get to visit this, they go out and they visit the raptor enclosure and they get to see it get fed. Like they bring a cow in and it's completely bloodless. So mm -hmm. obviously a PG-13 movie, but we learned that Robert Muldoon doesn't trust the raptors he knows that there's that they're that they're more cunning. They're not just dumb, you know, cattle that you can, mm -hmm. you know, guide or whatever. And so now we've got Malcolm who doesn't trust this place, and we know that Muldoon doesn't trust this place either. But they go and they have lunch, and they're sitting there and they're debating the ethics of cloning and whether or not this should be something that they should be doing. Malcolm's famous line comes here, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Mm -hmm. And it's true. I mean, you think about that. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do that thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got billions of dollars and just because you can send yourself up into space, should you send yourself up into space? What's the point of it? What are you furthering? What are you helping, right? Here, again, with this, what's the purpose of this? What are you helping just by creating dinosaurs? If you want to take this technology and apply it towards other things that can maybe help people that are still here, people that, like Malcolm says, weren't selected for extinction. Mm -hmm. The dinosaurs were selected by nature, according to Malcolm, which is, I, I would buy into that. I do buy into that, actually. So this is, this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of meat that's missing later in this series. From Jurassic Park 3 onward, this is the kind of stuff that we don't get any of. There's nobody sitting there picking at the bones of it and saying, look, we should really have a serious debate about this. And even this isn't even that deep of a conversation. It lasts for maybe two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're moving on. So what do you think of this concept of if you could, should you? Oh, I think that's an easy one. That do, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I mean, well, I don't even think that's that hard of a yeah question to answer. What do you suppose would get? What do you suppose would make someone think? You know what? I've got it. I've got the money. I've got the technology. I'm just going to do it. What is that? Just audacity? What is that? What do you think makes somebody do something like that? This was addressed in one of the special feature things I watched. Oh, really? They had to come up with a motivation as to why someone would do this. 
and it has to do with entertainment hmm. for entertainment and money purposes. So money, chasing yeah. the dollar. Now in the book, it's audacity. Mm-hmm. It is simply Hammond believes that he is, he is, he deserves this because of who he is and because of what he has. He deserves to be able to do what he which would. makes sense too. So mm-hmm. you 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 don't take the time to think about others besides I'm going to do this because I can. Right. Money, I mm-hmm. think, is going to be a big driver. Yeah. You know? The ability to make money off of something is a huge People driver. People do all sorts of terrible things so they can make money. Right. Legal <laughs> it's kind of the world we live in right now. I know, right? Kind of sad. They are going to go on a tour of the park. They're going to take the actual tour that tourists will take. Hammond figures this is the best way to sell this park to these people. And just to make sure that they understand the wonder that is Jurassic Park, he's going to have his grandkids, Lex and Tim, join them. But not in the same vehicle. But not in the same vehicle. <laughs> so I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know either. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be in the same vehicle, but Mal- not Malcolm, but, uh, but Grant outsmarts Tim. Yeah. And somehow gets away from Lex, too, because they both, at one point or another, are like, yeah, the you know, Ellie said we should go with you because it'll be good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grant's not having any of this. He's like, nah, kids, no thanks. No thank you. I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. <laughs> so the tour doesn't go as planned, and most of the dinosaurs don't show up, leading to another great line from Dr. Ian Malcolm, you do plan to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur ride. Which I use sometimes, not just necessarily saying dinosaurs, but I'll paraphrase this every once in a while. Yes, you do. Yeah. And then they end up encountering a sick triceratops. They can see it kind of from the track that they're on. And while Dr. Malcolm is explaining chaos theory to Ellie. Yeah, flirting. He's explaining chaos theory to Ellie while flirting with her. Like overly disgustingly flirting. Right. It's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. He, He's he, touching her and stuff. It's making me uncomfortable. Was it? Okay. It was. It was making me uncomfortable. She seemed interested, she which did, is weird. She's with Alan Grant, right? Well, are they? They are. He he says they are. Grant says they are. Okay. I mean, I think they are, but then they never like really come out and say flat out boyfriend, girlfriend, or they are, or they're together, <laughs> or fiance. I mean, that I don't feel like it's explicitly said. Okay, sure. Yeah, I don't think they ever come out and say... This is Ellie Sadler, uh, Dr. Ellie Sadler, my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> because that doesn't play, right? You got to play right. it as this is Dr. Ellie Sadler, paleobotanist. Anyway. Right. But anyways, I this was the first time watching this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just I'm older now and I kind of paying this more attention to this This is the first time watching it? But this is the first time watching this that I felt really uncomfortable with this flirting oh. of his. Sure. Maybe. Knowing the repercussions of it or something or i don't, I don't know. know i don't know anyway interesting maybe we'll dig into that at some point maybe not on this podcast but... Nah, probably not <laughs> no nah, probably not so they while he's telling her about chaos theory and kind of flirting with her grant jumps out of the car and malcolm takes the moment to say see that's chaos theory you can't predict that it's going to happen no matter what happens and you can't say one way or the other whether it's going to happen nobody could have predicted it and then they all go to see the the sick triceratops, which Ellie figures out is because they're eating lilac, West Indian lilac. I thought she dug in their poop and found that they weren't. She said that that's what, what now, that is straight from the book, the fact that they were eating West Indian lilac ber- berries, but they only find that because 
what was happen it, they didn't they didn't take the time to explain it what would happen is the dinosaurs would eat these stones that would grind the food together because they don't have any teeth right so it would grind the food in their stomach and make it easier to digest and now with the west indian lilac it made them sick so they would barf up the stones which they normally would do, but it would also have the West Indian lilac with it. That's how they figured out that that's what was poisoning the dinos. Ah, so okay. they didn't take the time to explain it. They theorized about it. She dug in some shit and nothing came of it. Right. It was one big pile of shit, though. Which I don't know. I think it's fine that they didn't really go into it because I don't think it matters to the whole story. Not in this happening. film, no. No, because I think la- later they mention at one point the lysine contingency, which is a very real thing in the book. The lysine contingency is that the creatures are bred with a deficiency in lysine and they have to be fed lysine every day to survive. So if they cut that off, the dinos will eventually die. They don't apply. They don't apply that here. They do mention it, the lysine contingency, as a possible solution to what's going on in the park later. But the berries, the lysine thing, all gets. It's all like kind of devised by not devised, but it's all kind of figured out by Ellie as she goes along in the book. So they just kind of condensed this. They didn't. T- they didn't apply the lysine thing, and they moved on. I think so. So the triceratops here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a animatronic puppet thing. Yeah. And so they built this thing and there's a platform underneath it that has three men, I think they said in it, that's actually moving some of the body parts. Were they pushing up on the side of it? I don't know if no no there I've was always had this there theory was that that's what they mechanisms were doing. and stuff ah, that they okay. were moving in there. All right. And then there was another person, a fourth person on the outside that was using a remote control to do the tongue and the eyes. Okay. So like somebody had the tail, somebody had the feet, and somebody had the breathing part of it. Man, and Stan then a Winston fourth person cool had the eyes and stuff. You know. Watching them make this was really neat because you get to see them like moving the skin and stuff and mm-hmm. pushing the skin around and it's it moved like skin moves and stuff. So I can imagine that seeing this thing in real life was pretty neat actually. Oh yeah, I would expect. I mean, like I said, Stan Winston, that dude, he made some really cool shit. I mean, he was responsible for a lot of cool stuff: Predator, Aliens, all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. He did. He worked on Iron Man, the original Iron Man. The pra- this dude was a practical effects genius. He died in 2008, right after Iron Man, too, mm. by the way. Well, but, anyways, yeah, this was... was our first puppet thing I wanted to talk about, just because it looked really neat how they were actually moving this thing inside to give us that practical effect. Yeah, definitely. That is that is very cool. That is very cool. So, while this is all going on, they, they have to cut the tour short because there's a tropical storm showing up. So Ellie is going to stay with the Triceratops and the vet that's out there, and the vet's going to drive them back in a gas jeep. Everybody else is going to get back in the tour vehicle and keep going back to the visitor center. However, there's a little fly in the ointment, a fly by the name of Dennis Nedry, who, in the midst of conducting industrial espionage, Mr. Nedry has decided that he has to cut power so that he can steal viable frozen embryos and take them out to the East Dock, to a boat that's waiting that will take them off to InGen's rival. I don't remember the name of the genetic engineering place that was their rival, but but he 
shuts down the power. And when it starts to boot back up again, it's supposed to just shut off and then come back up again. And like only a couple of systems are supposed to be offline, like mm-hmm. the security cameras mm-hmm. and the security gate. But all of the electrical fences that surround Jurassic Park and keep the different animals separate are off. Mm-hmm. They aren't back on. They tripped breakers or something. Mm-hmm. And chaos is about to ensue. Because when this power outage happens, the cars are stopped in front of the T-Rex paddock. Earlier, when they had gone by the first time, they had tried to lure the T-Rex out with a goat chained to a platform. But it wasn't having any of that. Now, of course, that they're not expecting it, the T-Rex, of course, eats the goat and then breaks through the fence and attacks the kids in the one car after Gennaro runs like a coward and jumps into the bathroom, which is there for some reason. I don't know why there's a public bathroom there when there's a sign right in front of it that says, don't leave your vehicle. I'm assuming it's for workers. No, it's a, it looks like, it looks like a Disney bathroom. Like, Hey, it come does, on in. But you know? I'm assuming it's for workers. Oh boy. It's got a million men and women, different yeah. thing. I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's I, I, for me. I agree. It, it's weird. This is one of my favorite scenes in this. This is the showcase scene for this This is whole great. Yeah. This is so great. So the ring effect. So when we first start hearing... The ripple the, in the water? Yeah. Yeah. We start hearing the dinosaur. It's, it's the vibrations. Now, to get this effect... I love how they did this. They had to rig up like a guitar string underneath the, the dash of this vehicle. And then basically plunk it. Mm-hmm. Now, all you know, ripples in water now are mainly CGI. But right. this was another practical effect that they were able to get by using a guitar string. Hell yeah! On this thing. As I remember from what I've read about it, it was a bass guitar string, right? And they strung it up under the dash, and then they strung it up. I think they had to string it up. No, it was just under the dash, right? Because mm-hmm. it was just a cutout. Of that dashboard, and I had somebody under there plunking it. As yeah, a man was under there and plucked, yep. plucked the That's right. strings. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Oh, great effect, too, right? And then when it... My one problem with this is when the tr- when the T-Rex busts through, he goes top... She goes top down on those wires, right? So top down. Mm-hmm. But when you see Grant and in, in Malcolm in their vehicle, the wires start from the bottom releasing and like kind of curling back like they've been snapped. Also, there's, Why is that? also, there's like a huge thing that goes down, like that wall goes down. It's not like it's ground on the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, right? It goes down. But that T-Rex just steps right over But it. the T-Rex somehow, even though this thing is probably, it seems like it's taller than that. The Yeah, the but it feels dip. like it would only come up to its shoulder. How the hell is it doing that? Well, the goat was right there too. Maybe yeah. there's a portion of it that's that's higher up, and then there's the portion over by where the kids that were. Could be, that but was, that's yep. not how it's. I mean, because it looks like the T Rex is coming right <laughs> yeah. through that part yeah. there, Suspension which doesn't disbelief. make any sense to me. Got to suspend it's fine. I still love this scene. <laughs> I love the tension buildup with hearing mm-hmm. this thing. Oh yeah, and then and then you get to see it for the first time. And my God, they did an amazing job on this T Rex. Yeah, it's magnificent. I mean, there's no other word for it. I watched the video of them making this thing. And if you guys are into this movie, go watch the making of this T-Rex. Yeah. It is so cool. Yeah. They did an awesome job. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
And and this is where we get the whole their their vision is based on movement thing. <laughs> yeah, and Lex with her stupid flashlight. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's got the flashlight on. Even the even the kid who's a, a junior paleontologist is like, no no no, turn the light off, turn it off, turn it off. He and can't then see she just, move. she just keeps, she keeps swinging it around. It on, and yeah. she's swinging it around. We get this great effect where the the T Rex's head comes down and the the pupil dilates or yeah. contracts because the light's shining right in it. Oh man, the, like this is one of those this is one of those things that. When I first got a DVD player, they were saying this is like reference quality on the DVD. Like this is what you use to display what a DVD can do. Now, DVD, of course, is three generations old at this point. But back then, 2097, 97 is when I think they made the discs for this, if I'm remembering correctly, 97 or 98. Anyway, the the <laughs> The discs were considered to be reference quality. So this is the one that you, and the sound was always great because they did this DTS thing, the digital theater sound. And so if you had a good setup and you had this disc and you had a nice TV, which wouldn't have been a flat screen TV, by the way, back then, kids, it would have been the old fashioned tube TV that Mm -hmm. had the bars on it. But the sound was amazing on that. So I just remember loving to play that scene. And be like, see, it's awesome. And my <laughs> and my parents going, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I can't tell the difference. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Why has it got the bars at the top and the bottom? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I'd been the same way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we have had that discussion. Before. We have. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the T Rex goes after the kids, and and Grant takes a flare and tries to get the the t-rex to follow the flare and Which throws he it succeeds he did the t-rex goes right for it but malcolm for some dumbass reason chaos ca- yeah right so now he's not just observing chaos he's an agent of chaos <laughs> dude turns into the joker so he he's flailing around and then running with it what are you a dumbass grant just told you that it can't see you if you don't move yeah why are you what are you doing and then he throws it and then keeps running. Yeah. <laughs> Dumbest chaotician ever. I mean, adrenaline well, can make you listen. do weird shit, yeah. you know? But well, th- here's the thing. Yeah. If you have something that big running after you, I mean, are you going to just stop? <laughs> I mean... If, if an expert on said thing tells me, yes, if you stop, it will stop coming after you, uh-huh. Because I'm not going to be like, I'm smarter than him, so I will keep running. No, no. Expert says, don't move. I'll be like, st- like stone. I would be stone. <laughs> anyway, so after the T-Rex attacks Malcolm and throws him through the bathroom, it exposes Gennaro on the toilet where the dino gets his first, or her first human snack. Yep. Yeah. So she eats... Tasty treats. Yeah, tasty, tasty human treats. While this is all going on, we're kind of getting cut back and forth to Nedry and his attempt at escape with the embryos. And he runs runs afoul of a Dilophosaurus, which spits venom that paralyzes its victim, and then it eats him. Mm -hmm. Now, during this whole thing with Nedry when he gets attacked... The shaving cream can that he was using, this was a, it's like a modified shaving cream can that it will keep things cryogenically frozen for 48 hours, I think they said. Mm -hmm. It falls into the mud and gets covered. When I first saw this movie, I was like, there's your sequel right there. 
but they <laughs> never go back. Yeah. Ever. They never go back to that. Now, I understand 48 hours are probably not viable anymore, but now they're buried. They're being fossilized, right? They're stuck down in the mud where you find fossils, right? Maybe it's just symbolic. I don't know. What I do know is I thought they were going to go for that, ah, okay. which they didn't. But, but anyway, when they can't raise the cars on the radio, Hammond sends Muldoon to go and get his grandchildren back. And Ellie decides to go with him. So they drive out to the Tyrannosaur paddock and they discover one of the cars is just freaking gone. And they discover the wreck of the bathroom. And in the wreck of the bathroom, a still alive Dr. Ian Malcolm. They strap him to the Jeep and then Ellie notices the other vehicle had been pushed over the ledge into the paddock by the T-Rex. And then they jump down and jump back up in a really quick pattern. (laughs) Somehow get down. Now, this is the funny thing is that when that car is coming down, there's this whole scene where when that car is coming down, there's this whole bit where Lex is holding on to the back of Grant and he's swinging over on one of the wires and she's got to grab one, assuming that they can't just jump down there, right? How did they? Well, and then that car falls into a tree that that he has to then climb up the tree and then it comes back down. Yeah. So when you see that, that that that's why I'm saying that is a huge drop. I don't know how yeah. the T-Rex got out of there. How did this happen? Did he have like T-Rex platform shoes or something? I don't know. I think it had T-Rex I platform don't know. shoes. I, I'd like to imagine this T-Rex wearing platform kiss style boots. I'm just saying no? this whole part with... Again, I love the scene. I don't want to take away from it that much. But at the same time, we're reviewing this, right? Yeah, but that's the thing. You can still love something and pick it apart. I do this all the time. This doesn't make sense to me. The whole setup of this doesn't work. Nope. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't make any sense. But you're taken away by this whole thing. You're like, holy shit, this is great. You know? And honestly, I didn't notice it till I think the last time I watched it. Oh, really? So up until that point, I didn't even care. Yeah. But up to, and then the last time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is that working? <laughs> so they jump down there, like you said, and they find that Malcolm and the kids are gone. So they know they and Ellie notices tracks leading off into the paddock. Then they decide they they hear a, a T Rex, and so they're and somehow like, they climb all the way back up. Climb there all the way back really up, quick. And they get back into the jeep and they speed off. With the T-Rex chasing them, but they Another managed to get away from great it. great scene. I love this yes, scene. Yes, this was a really good scene. I liked that a lot. Malcolm saying, must go faster. Must go Again, faster. <laughs> another quotable line from this movie. And they escape because they can go faster than what they've clocked the T-Rex at, which is 32 miles an hour. Now, Grant, Tim, and Lex managed to escape that vehicle, and they take shelter in a tree. And the next morning, they encounter a Brachiosaurus herd. And they, we get this neat little scene where they feed the Brachiosaur, one of the Brachiosaurs, with a branch. And we also, right before they fall asleep, this wasn't the next morning, was it? That was that night, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, it was that night. And then when they, right right as the kids are starting to fall asleep, Grant says, I'm going to stay up the whole night to make sure that none of the bad dinosaurs come back. And this is where we get a joke that I still tell to this day. What do you call a blind dinosaur? 
<laughs> a do you think you saw us? <laughs> and what do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? Do you think he saw us, Rex? <laughs> I don't know why I love that stupid joke. It's terrible. It's a bad, 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 bad you joke, but I love like it. like those bad jokes. I do. I love that joke. <laughs> so the next morning, Grant finds dinosaur eggshells. Now, how, Jennifer, are two female dinosaurs breeding? Because life will find a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> and basically what happens is Grant is surmising that some frogs, which again, they used some frog DNA, especially like, what was it? West African, West, West African tree frogs, right? He says West African tree frogs can change sex in a single sex environment to continue the species. So he's theorizing that some of these dinos may have taken on that capability mm-hmm. from their... The, their donated DNA mm-hmm. while they're doing that. And then, and then they get chased by a flock of some sort of bird dinosaur. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember is. what it was. I don't remember either. It kind of looks like an ostrich, but like, like giant chickens. Right. Yeah. And uh, they take, they take refuge and Grant is the whole time just marveling at the idea that they do flock like birds. They, mm-hmm. they run in packs and they, you know, they fly, they not necessarily fly, but this is where he kind of is like, it's kind of, convincing him that he was on the right track to begin mm-hmm. with with it when it comes to this because he's theorizing he has theorized that dinosaurs have became or evolved into birds some dinosaurs had evolved into birds now while this is all going on the, the at the visitor center they are trying to crack Nedry's code so that they can reboot the security system but Hammond and Arnold who is the Chief Engineer and played by Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. Thank you very much. They try and reboot it, but it shuts down the park's grid. And then when they restart it, everything comes back up, but they don't have power yet. They have to go and trip the breakers. Uh So they send... Arnold says he's going to go and take care of it. So he heads out. So where are all the workers for this place? Now there was an announcement. Oh yeah, they were they yeah. left. They're, they left the last because uh, the, the last storm. boat leaves in five minutes because there's a tropical storm. This is something that will get reused in movies later on, lesser mm-hmm. movies like Deep Blue Sea and all kinds of other shit. That you know we're gonna get everybody else off this island, even though we know it's supposed to be populated by a bunch of people that are working on it. We gotta get them off the island. Yeah, they're they're gone. They're out of there. And Arnold goes to this relay station to reset these things. But when he doesn't come back, Sattler and Muldoon head towards the shed. Hammond, of course, says, I should be going because I'm 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 a man and you're a woman. And she's like, Look <laughs> Look you <laughs> What does she say? Something about we can talk about sexism sexism in survival situations when I get back, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is great. And nowadays they'd be crying that this was woke, but this is, but here we are, right? This mm-hmm. is 1993 and they were doing it back then. So shut up. <laughs> anyway, so she goes with Muldoon, but on the way they get tracked by raptors. And Muldoon isn't smart enough to know what Grant knows, which is that the raptors actually use one of them to lure because they're a pack hunter. They, they hunt in packs. Mm-hmm. So they have one of them to keep the attention of their prey while the other two will attack. And that's exactly what happens to Muldoon. He gets attacked by the, by the, by two of them. 
One of them's holding his attention. The other one grabs him. And this gives Ellie the chance to take off. So she runs and she gets into the shed. She manages to get in there. Hammond walks her through, rebooting everything, and all the systems come back up. The electric fences are starting to come back up. And the problem with that is it's right at that moment that the that Grant and the two kids are trying to climb over one of the electrified fences. <laughs> and we get this scene where Tim is the lone guy sitting up there and they want him to jump, but he won't do it. He starts counting one, two, and then the power comes back on and he flies off. Now, believable or no? I don't think the kid survives because how much electricity they got to have running through that to keep the big dinosaurs in. It's 10,000 volts. I don't think the kid's going to survive that thing. Is he? A good rule of thumb is that at or about 2,000 volts, the person will die or experience severe injury. At over 11,000 volts, the person is definitely going to die. Here's the thing. 10,000 volts, very, very dangerous, obviously, right? But I think what really matters is how long you stay in contact with it. Mm -hmm. A quick shock of 10,000 volts isn't going to kill you. It will definitely hurt you. But if he had stayed on that fence for more than the split second that he was on there, I bet he dies. But I think this is believable because I believe that human beings can touch 10,000 volts if it's just like that like a split second type thing, which this is. Hmm. So it kind of treads that line with believable or not. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. To give you, okay, so to give you a frame of reference, a static shock is 5,000 volts, but it's not a sustained 5,000 volts. It's a milliseconds of, 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 of 5,000 volts, okay? So possible. I think. What do you think? I mean, I, I suppose am I convincing you here? Possible. I, it this just is one of the things unlikely. I, yeah, but. this is one of the things that I thought of right off the bat. It was like, can he actually survive that? Is this unbelievable or is it believable? And so I started doing some digging, and that's yeah. what I found. Five thousand volts is a static shock. So if you rub your feet, you know, your your sock covered feet on carpet, and you touch something metal, it goes right, mm -hmm. and it's like, ow, son of a bitch, right? And if that was sustained for a little bit longer, you would actually get a burn from that. Mm -hmm. But because it's just nanoseconds or milliseconds, it doesn't hurt. Huh. More than just a little bit of a shock. Yep. At least that's what I found in my meager research, which, <laughs> got to be honest with you, was a couple of Google searches. and then I Well, was if the internet says it, it's got to be true. Well, I was on Scientific American. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so probably a little bit more legit. There's a little then. bit of legitimacy <laughs> to it, so whatever. You weren't scrolling Facebook, so no. that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how I do my own research, right? This is where I get my news from. <laughs> God help me. <laughs> but while, while, okay, so they try and save, they get him back, they get, they try and save Tim, he gets him, they get him back to breathing, and then they head towards the visitor center to get him medical attention. Ellie, in trying to escape, or trying to leave the the electric shed encounters what she thinks is Arnold, but it's actually not. It's just as our, there's another, another velociraptor in that shed with them. Yeah. And it attacks. She barely makes it out. They all convene on the visitor center and 
Grant, well, Grant actually leaves to go and find everybody. And that's when Ellie finds him. So the kids are by themselves in the visitor center and they are just snacking out on all the cool like snack foods that are there, like cake and jello and ice cream and all that other fun stuff. And this is where we get the Velociraptor encounter. This is the one that I think is the one that you read or when you saw the thing about the puppets, was it about the kitchen stuff and how it was opening the door and all that? Yeah. Well, what I was watching was how they were coming up with this. So there's, uh-huh. Two, so the two raptors that are in the kitchen there, there's mm. actually human beings in those. Suits. In some of it, right? Because there's one where the where it jumps up on the yeah on the, the thing that's the CGI. ones that are jumping are a combination of CGI and a, like a practical puppet, but mm. it's more of an animatronic one, not oh, a sure. person. Sure, yeah. But the person inside there, like when it stands up, that's somebody mm. in there. When they're they walking around and, and kind of looking around and stuff, that. That is a human being in okay. dino suit, basically. Okay, okay. The thing that I had seen a while back was the puppet that was used to do the door bit. Mm-hmm. Now, this would have been probably on the DVD back in 2000, 2001 or something like that. And they showed how they did the whole dinos opening doors thing, which I thought was really cool. It was basically, you know, you're seeing a little behind the screen, behind mm-hmm. the scenes thing. I like mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah, but the, so the dinos... The two velociraptors now, because the third one's dead. The two velociraptors that are left are stalking the kids into the kitchen. And the kids manage to trap one of the dinos in the freezer. Good move. And then they're trying to outrun the other one when they run back into Ellie and Grant. And they are cornered by these things. They're going to die. But the T-Rex, but now how did the other one get back out of the freezer? Well, well, they know how to use the handles and there's... Yeah, but they put a lock on it. They put the little deadbolt thingy Oh, in did they? It. Yeah. Well, wasn't there four of them? No, there were three. There were three raptors. I thought there was three outside and one in the shed with... No, there were only two that were stalking Ellie and Muldoon. Mm. And the third one had been in the electric shed mm. I don't with know that. Arnold. But so I, I don't do know how the second one got back out. Back up a minute and yeah. go back to the kitchen again. Now, I again, I, another great scene in this movie. Yeah. The tapping of the ladle oh, to get their attention. Yeah. The tapping of the nails. The claw. The, yeah. For the raptors. So they're almost like communicating to each other. Yeah. Like Morse code or something. Yeah. Yep. The reflection off the stainless steel. Oh, when we, she when 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 Lex is trying to pull the yeah. top down of the thing that she's hiding in. Yeah, and she tricks the the raptor unintentionally. I think. Right. I think it's unintentional too, but it's it's a great like fake out there. Absolutely. I, I really like this. This was a well crafted scene. Mm-hmm. It, they played it well. The, yep. the visual effects were great. I really enjoyed this scene a lot. Very much. So. It's yeah. it's a it's a fun enjoyable tense scene that leads to a oh they get oh we even cut out the whole bit where they where they manage to get back into the control room and lex does her hacker stuff to get the to get everything back oh, online yeah. to get the I don't phones back that online was that. that was that was when they were being chased by the raptors in the in the main lobby area they went they retreated back to that no wait that's after because that's when all of them are together again because you've got grant and ellie and and the two kids and the two kids in yeah. there yeah. yeah and that's before that's before they run out because they run out the raptors managed to get into the control center and 
Grant and the kids and, and mm, Sattler sure, sure, sure. climb up into oh, the yeah, ceiling yeah. Okay. and then end up on the dino bones. And there's this whole fight on the dino bones with the, with the raptor. And then that's, that's when, when the, the T-Rex, T-Rex comes in. in. Yeah. Yep. And they have this great scene where the T-Rex is killed. It's roaring its victory. And the The T-Rex banner... isn't killed. Oh, sorry. The Velociraptor is killed. And the T-Rex is roaring its victory. And the banner that says, when dinosaurs ruled the earth is floating down. Yep. Just really cool visual. I thought that was neat. And Alan says, "Nope, we're not gonna we're not gonna vouch for your park." And Hammond says, "Yep, yeah, me too. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna vouch for my park either." So Hammond, you know me, you know that the bad guy has to pay. Otherwise, there's no victory in this, right? Hammond is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Hammond is the billionaire with no moral code. Hammond's the bad guy. Hammond is the same character as Saffron Burroughs' character in Deep Blue Sea. She did without thinking. She fucked with nature, and nature fucked back. Here, Hammond pays no price at all. Nobody died that was close to him. He didn't die. He didn't suffer any sustainable injury. In the book, however, Hammond dies. He gets eaten by Compies, Procomphosaurus, the small ones, that Mm. we'll see in the second Jurassic Park movie, in in The Lost World, that scene at the beginning of that was actually close to the beginning of the the book Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And he dies, he goes out to kind of contemplate like how this is going to affect him. How this this whole thing is going to affect him. Not like this Hammond, the film Hammond, is so much more concerned about everyone. Oh, he's such a nice old man. But in the, he sounded Irish. This in the <laughs> in the book, he is much less concerned about that. He's much he's much more self centered and makes a lot more sense as this villain idea, this villain mm-hmm. concept. So they softened the hell out of him for this movie. Yeah, but he does. He gets eaten alive by these compies. Malcolm also dies. They rescue him, but he dies from the injuries sustained in the T-Rex attack. So no idea how they were going to bring him back. They did eventually bring him back in the second book, but the second book was written because Spielberg was like, let's make another one. And Crichton was like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they, they take off, and as they're leaving, Grant is cuddling with the kids and looking out the window and watching birds fly by. And we get that the wonderful Johnny end. Williams music. Yep. God damn, that's good music, right? That is some fantastic music. It is. It's so good that a 19-year-old would blast this shit instead of Metallica. <laughs> Not every 19-year-old would. But, <laughs> but I see your point. <laughs> so good! I listen to... So I put on... There's a John Williams playlist. Yes. I listened to that a few times during tax season this year, just because sometimes it's nice just mm-hmm. having some music to listen to, to, oh, yes. to tune everything, all the phones ringing and all the craziness that's happening in the office. Oh, yeah. But I cranked that up a little bit, so I listened mm-hmm. to it a little bit. You know, there's a, there's a, if you, if you ever download Apple Music Classical, you can pull like, all kinds of stuff that John Williams has done. Not just like whatever Apple decides is going to be the essentials. You can find like different versions of it, things mm. that people have done homages to. It's great stuff. I 100%, I 100% back Apple Music Classical, by the way. It's good stuff. All right. Yep. Also, one other thing about the ending of the book versus the ending of the movie, okay? So in the in the book, everybody gets evacuated by the Costa Rican Coast Guard who... They, the military then comes in and says, look, this is not sustainable. We can't let these animals get off the island. So they 
napalm the entire island to try and keep the to try and keep the dinos from getting off. But dinos start getting reintroduced to Earth's ecosystem because they manage to get off in one of the in one of the escape ships, probably the one that Nedry was trying to get to, I think, or something. If I sure. so that that whole plot is in the book, I think. So it's probably the boat that Nedry was trying to get. It is, and I guess in the book it's more clear as to why he's okay. doing that for financial pur- purposes versus in the movie. Oh, it yeah, really they doesn't dig into why he, yeah. They because touch they on it a little bit. they do say something about... Or John, Sorry about your financial troubles. Right, yeah. right. He's, he says that the, those aren't his problem or whatever, but in the book, I guess they are kind of his problem mm-hmm. because he basically screwed him over mm-hmm. on some stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hammond is like a tw- mustache twirling bad guy in the book. Yeah. Like really, really bad douchey, ba- douchey mm-hmm. guy. So I'm telling you, they turned this fucker into Walt Disney practically. Yeah. You know? Which... Well, again, they're going for a little bit different movie. It's mm-hmm. PG-13 and they don't want, he don't want to kill the guy off at the end. And, yeah. 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 You know, James Cameron could have made this movie. It would have been, there would have been blood and guts everywhere. <laughs> he was going to make this movie. And then when he finally saw it, he was like, yeah, maybe Spielberg was a better choice for this. <laughs> When so. we get to alternate casting, I have alternate directors, so we can talk about that. Interesting. There yeah. were other alternate directors. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought Spielberg went straight for this because he was working on ER with Crichton, and he was like, "Dude, I really like this idea of yours for but the they dinos." They did have some other ones on. on really? The so he, what was he so. going to do? Executive produce it first and hire somebody else, or let's um, talk about that now? This okay. is part of your stuff, right? Right. So the agent circulated the book. Mm-hmm. to the different before studios it was and directors. Yeah. Yep, before it was published. 89 or something. Warner Brothers wanted Tim Burton to direct it. Ew, gross. What? It would be stop motion hell. No, thank you. Columbia Pictures was planning on Richard Donner. Oh, okay. I could see Richard Donner doing it. We wouldn't have gotten the same technology out of it that we got mm-hmm. with Spielberg, but I could see Donner doing it. 20th Century Fox wanted Joe Dante. Oh, no. Again, stop motion. It would have been stop motion. It would have been, you ever see like the the little like ripoff dino movies that came out after this, like Tammy and the T-Rex and weird shit like that. Mm-hmm. It was all like stop motion shit and claymation. It's like, this is gross. What are you people doing? <laughs> yeah. But Steven Spielberg was Michael Crichton's first choice the whole time. But that, they did entertain those other sure, sure. production yeah. companies okay. and stuff. So Interesting. My opinion on this is that Jeff Goldblum absolutely 100% steals every damn scene that he is in in this movie. Mm-hmm. He is the standout star of this film. Besides the special effects, that dude is the one that everybody remembers. Well, and he's got so many great lines in this, He does. Too. Well, and he's got that Jeff Goldblum way yes. of delivering them. I love Jeff Goldblum, he, by yeah. the way. I'm oh, not going to... He had that little weird show on Disney that, what was a court? It's like, like a, him, like, learning about different things. And, like, he had this, like. It is so goofy, but yeah. I absolutely loved it. He's Sneakers just, and he's virtual reality. Yeah. He, he's great. So what, it's called, uh, is it the world according to Jeff Goldblum? I don't remember. I don't it remember what it's Something like that. But it is a Jeff Goldblum. Just go on Disney Plus, search Jeff Goldblum, and watch that show because you will be entertained if you are a Goldblum fan. He, he's so goofy. He is. He's just He basically so plays himself. He does. Now, I mean, it's not always that way, yeah. though. I mean, if you look at some of his older roles, like, say, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers or, in, you know, The Fly or something, they're not like that. Yeah. You know, Earth Girls are easy. He's not playing himself. He's just got a unique delivery, I think, is what it is. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of 
I think that's kind of the 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 desirable thing for him, you know, yeah. for anybody that's casting him is like, yeah, I want Goldblum to be able to deliver this because I can imagine anybody else reading this right. on my movie or right. in my movie. But yeah. Yeah. I think I think what's interesting is that the lawyer who was dead set against this until he saw the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs convinced him that this would work. It convinced most people in that group that this was really a good idea, right? At Even first, though right? he knew that one of them killed somebody. Right, That's why right. he was there. <laughs> right, but it's the money. He was yeah. blinded by the money. That's all he would talk yeah. about is, oh, man, we can make so much money on this. We could charge yeah. whatever we wanted. Hammond gets this line where he says, I want this to be... I don't want this to cater to the ultra rich. I want this to be any family that wants to come here and experience mm-hmm. this. Who does that remind you of? Walt Disney. That's right. This is a Walt Disney anagram. Mm-hmm. He's in Walt Disney anagram. But yeah, I think the lawyer is an interesting character because as soon as he saw he could make money off of it, as soon as he saw the money that they would make, mm-hmm. he was like 100% in. Yeah. Doesn't care about safety. We're just going to do Not even this. a little. Yeah. No. Which is, I mean, that speaks to part of Hammond's character in the book, honestly. Yeah. What kind of notes do you have? I have a few trivia things I wanted to talk about. Let's hear them. The first one is the T-Rex roar or sound that he Oh, yes. Yeah. They made this by mixing dog, penguin, tiger snarl, alligators gurgles, and baby elephant squeal. Was it Ben Burt that worked on this? Was he the sound guy? No, I don't think it was that person. I don't okay. recall his name. Okay. His name anyway. okay. I mean, he's the dude was kind of prolific. He was in everything he did. Everything that had to do with like Spielberg and Lucas for many, many years, all the way back to Empire, maybe? Looks like it might be a Gary Rydstrom. Okay. No, I mean, he did, like, his relationship with Lucasfilm and ILM dates back to... Empire Strikes Back. So I was, I kind of, because ILM dealt with so much of this, I really thought it would have been Ben Burt. But hey, you know what? The guy that did it did a fantastic job. That that roar is nothing if not iconic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's what I would imagine a T-Rex would sound like. It's the only thing you can think of as a T-Rex yeah. now, right? Yeah. Like somebody's roaring as a T-Rex, it doesn't sound like anything except for what they did in Jurassic Park. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. During filming, Hawaii got hit by Hurricane Anika, is it? Anika, Mm. something like that. And so that, of course, shut down filming. And they all had to go to the hotel that they were in, into the conference room. Oh, I know this story. There was beds put in (laughs) there. So everybody was all in one room, you know, waiting waiting for this thing to pass. Except for one person, Richard Attenborough, he (laughs) was in his room and slept through the whole thing. This was a Category 5. Yeah. Hurricane. Yeah. The winds were, I think they said 150 to 180 miles per hour, mm-hmm. and he's just in his hotel room sleeping away. Snoring away. Yeah. And when they walked outside, I mean, there was just devastation everywhere. Stuff was yeah. wrecked. Everything was down. And they were in this hotel room with other vacationing people because right. this room was full of beds and cots. So there's somewhere there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, we hunkered down with like Jeff Goldblum and yeah. Steven Spielberg. and Right. Did you do you know what what Attenborough's quote was? What he what he said when they found him the next day, and they were like, "Where the hell were you?" Yeah, I don't remember what it was though. He said, "He said, my dear boy, I survived the Blitz." <laughs> <laughs> so he had he had survived the Blitz as a kid, 
he had lived through the Blitz of London during World War II. So he was like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm going <laughs> to, I made <laughs> I it through that, I'm going to sleep. Room. Yeah, he's like, I'm not sleeping with a whole bunch of people, I'm going to sleep in my room. But some of the footage, they did go out and get some of the footage. So the storm that's oh, coming yeah, you in can tell what it is. is actually from yeah. the hurricane. Yeah, you can tell it. You can tell the footage. The other thing is Samuel L. Jackson was supposed to go back to Hawaii to film Arnold's death scene. Oh, really? But the hurricane destroyed the set. Oh, and so no. they just did the whole arm thing. Oh, yeah. that's too bad. He could have had a death scene? He could have had a death scene. Damn. Yep. yep, so they lost out on that because of the storm. It's too bad. All right, last thing I have is some alternate casting. Okay, let's hear it. All right, the main one that was actually in running, these other ones, I believe, just tried out for the parts, but they didn't, I, I don't know that they were offered it ever. They just tried out. But okay. the one that was in real running yeah. is for Grant Harrison Ford. Oh, I could have seen that 100%. Harrison Ford turned it down. Yeah? Why? He said Indiana he just Jones? didn't think it was the role for him. Okay, all right. And he did watch the movie. He loved the movie, but said he was he it was really not the role for him. Okay, I think he was probably worried it was going to become another franchise. <laughs> but that man, that man hates Star Wars more than more than Alec Guinness hated Star That's Wars. That's possible, but I I'm almost glad he didn't because the actors they had in there, while mm-hmm. they were known, they weren't like big big named actors. And I yeah, feel like yeah. this movie needed to be more about the dinosaurs and the story. And if you would yeah, have had Harrison sure. Ford in there, it would have been Indiana Jones have been versus the dinosaurs. Harrison Ford movie yeah, with it, some it, dinosaurs. It really there. would have been Indiana Jones versus the dinosaurs. Look at the way Alan Grant was dressed. Mm-hmm. Had the hat on and everything. Not a fedora, but a you know yeah. a distinctive hat. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. Who else? For John Hammond, mm-hmm. Sean Connery. Spielberg was on a Sean Connery kick, wasn't he? Because <laughs> he had just had him for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in, ni- in 89. He likes to reuse his people. He does like to reuse his people. Sean Connery would have been good, I think, as Hammond. I, I like Richard Attenborough, though. I think yeah. I like the, I appreciate the little purring delivery that he has. If they were going to go with a closer Hammond to the book, yeah. then go Sean Connery. You think so? Because I don't, uh, Richard. Attenborough looks like your grandpa. I yeah. mean, he he doesn't seem like he's yeah, going to be the right? big villain guy. He's like a cuddly old man. Sean Connery. Yeah, just did the Irish I thing think, again. Why can't I? <laughs> I think he could pull off being kind of maniacal and yeah, like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. I could see it. All right. For Ian Malcolm, Jim Carrey tried out for that part. I think oh, that would have been terrible. Christ, that's a terrible idea. I'm so glad they turned him down. I like Jim Carrey yeah. and Jim Carrey's stuff. He's he's good with his dramatic stuff. He's yeah, good absolutely. With his com- comedic stuff, but I think this needed a little bit more gravitas. Yeah, I cannot imagine anybody else but Jeff Goldblum for that part. Okay, question for you: Can you imagine anybody else but Jeff Goldblum in any of the parts that he's played? Not really. Right. Well, maybe about- Independence Day. Independence Day was what? Maybe somebody else there. No way. You think? No way. Think about how he plays that, and think about how much of what no, he you does know what? he imbues right. in. No, that. you're right. Right. You're right. And, the, and I agree. Like, the Fly, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, everything that he's ever done just seems to ooze Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That sounded gross. He owns the role. He does. He owns the role. He owns the roles. Every yeah. role that he does. Yep. I can't picture him as, I can't picture any of his characters as anybody but him. So, I get it. All right. Ellie Sattler. Mm -hmm. Sandra Bullock. No, thanks. Gwyneth Paltrow. No, thanks. Julianne Moore. Mm, 
maybe, but she'd be in The Lost World. She was Sarah, what the hell is her last name? The scientist that went to Isla Sona, mm-hmm. Isla Sorna in Jurassic World. So she ended up coming She did. In she ended up being Jeff Goldblum's girlfriend. In Helen the, Hunt? Helen Hunt would have worked, I think. I think Helen Hunt would have worked. I think, I think so, too. I think Laura Dern has a very Helen Huntish look to yeah. her. That maybe they were definitely going for a certain look, I think. Terry Hatcher? Terry Hatcher could have pulled it off. This would have been right around the time of Lois and Clark. So, yeah, you could have, you could have pulled that off. Elizabeth Hurley. Elizabeth Hurley? Yeah, I don't know. Too young. Yeah. Too young at that point. Yeah, yeah too too young. And that's I think, what I've I got. I think you need someone in their mid-30s to convey, you know, uh, a, a steady diet of, you know, having been in, you know, learning about, you know, paleobotany and, and, and conveying a certain knowledge level. And I think that eventually Elizabeth Hurley could have done that. But I think at that time, Elizabeth Hurley would have been way too young, just like, just like Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. way too young at that point. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's the mask. That's t- mask time frame. Oh, yeah. He's way too young. Ace Ventura time frame, way too young. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey now could pull off Ian Malcolm for sure. Or even Jim Carrey, Eternal Sunshine time frame mm-hmm. could have pulled yeah. off. But not not that point. Not at that point. All right. That's it? That's it. All right, we're going to do our thing as if they don't know. Keep, rent, or erase Jennifer and why? I'm going to keep this one. I've what? seen this one several times. Okay. I like this movie. I love the dinosaurs in here. They're so They're so fun. cuddly. They're not cuddly, <laughs> but they're cuddly fun dangles. to see on the screen. Did it's fun. He did just an amazing. He had an amazing team. Yeah, I really and they did. did a really good job. I really enjoy this movie. How about you? Uh, this is one hundred percent a keep for me. I mean, shit, I got stopped by a cop for this movie. Of course, <laughs> of course, I'm keeping this movie. This, this is an iconic Spielberg movie. This is the movie that. I think ended a certain phase for Steven Spielberg, just as Schindler's List was cranking up another phase for Steven Spielberg. This ended his whole Steven Spielberg as imagination guy, you know, like the the dude that brought us E.T. and the guy that brought us Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. all these great adventures. And it just started transitioning from this point on to maybe more serious roles, more serious, not more serious roles, but more serious films, more serious productions, he became a different director after this movie. And I think this is a great end cap to a movie, to a career, a, a section of his career that started with Jaws, right? hmm Yeah. Yep, absolutely, 100% keep. When we're done with this, I'm going to go jam out to the Jurassic Park soundtrack. <laughs> so, yeah. So. so, what are we doing next? All right, next week we are going to go back to the MCU and we are going to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Oh, God. More MCU stuff? I'm so excited for I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm excited for this. I know. If, if it wasn't, if it, was, if it was anybody other than James Gunn doing this, I probably would be dreading this movie. I, I feel like I'm getting that superhero movie overload thing now that everybody keeps talking about. Yeah. And I, I hate to say that because I am a, I am a comic book fan, but I think superhero movies are not comic books. And I don't know. I don't know. I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie because it's the completion of Gunn's trilogy with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to see what they're doing. I've heard, I've heard that it's great. I'm just worried that it's going to be another CGI claptrap noise fest that 
I mean, yeah, I know I sound like an old man, but like with no meaning. I don't care if it's a CGI claptrap noise fest, if there's meaning to it. And that's why I'm, ex- I'm I'm more interested in seeing this than I have been in other MCU movies because Gunn seems to infuse a little bit of meaning into his films. Fair enough. So I guess we're going to go and see... Yay! Guardians 3. Okay, so next week, right here on the couch, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.